Good morning. It's great to actually be in a place where I can see faces. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I never enjoyed speaking to a um, camera. Um, so it's really good to see you, even if you've got your masks on. Uh, that's great. Uh, what a great little video clip. It's so good to hear from Scott as well, wasn't it? And uh, Marika and uh, Ian doing a great job at Rangeview. Today we're going to talk about the power of encouraging intentionally. And uh, I just want to say initially, I've, I've got a nephew, Gus, and he's about 22 now, but when he was only about two, um, we were going with, his, with our family and his family to uh, Mount Hotham. Now, I'm not a skier, but they were taking us up there. It was late one night, and I think we stopped at somewhere like Myrtleford to get chains on the car. And uh, it was dark, and the man at the, the place there was showing us how to fit these chains on the car. And little Gus is standing there watching it all, and uh, he's quite impressed. And when the man was finished... Just like, just out of this little boy's voice comes, good job, man. And uh, we, we just we remember that to this day. Um, we all laugh because it sounded so funny coming from a, a little guy. Um, he'd probably heard it from his parents, which was a good thing. But I wonder, do we still do it uh, when we get older? Do we still encourage adult to adult? Um, we all need it. I, I can remember... I was thinking about this whole thing. I can remember when I started working here at New Community on the pastoral staff about 12 years ago, and under all the chairs on the morning that I was commissioned for that role, there were these little bits of green and yellow paper, and people were asked on that day to write just a little note that might encourage Steve. And uh, I got a wad of these notes. It was unbelievable. And I used to keep them in the drawer next to my, in my bedside table, and uh, from time to time, not very often, but from time to time, I'd have a little browse through those notes. And it was incredibly encouraging to me to see uh, the way that people had supported me and wanted to encourage me and spur me on as I started something new. Chuck Swindle, that famous American preacher, he says that encouragement is awesome. He says this, think about it, it has the capacity to lift a man or woman's shoulders, to breathe fresh air into the fading embers of a smouldering dream to actually change the course of another human being's day or week or life. Now, Luke, the writer of the New Testament book of Acts, um, which is the fifth book in the New Testament, it's the book that talks about the growth of the early church, Um, he weaves into the text this quiet but really influential character, um, a significant life. It's the life of this guy called Barnabas. And his real name was Joseph. And the first mention we get of him is in uh, chapter 4 of the book of Acts. And it says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, son of encouragement, seemed to be an apt nickname for the, the man who enters this story with this incredible act of generosity. He sells a field and he brings the money and he puts it at the feet of the apostles. And I reckon that needs a little bit of background. You see, the church was beginning to suffer persecution from much the same people who had um, persecuted Jesus and conspired against him. And just prior to this, Peter, an early Christian leader, He's healed a a lame beggar and he's preached powerfully that that Jesus is this long-promised Messiah and that the people should repent and turn back to God. And thousands had responded, but it wasn't a thing that pleased the religious elite at all. And so they had Peter and John. They were two really 
key pillars of the church they were described as. Um, they had them arrested and they were jailed overnight and they were brought before this court, this Sanhedrin, um, to defend themselves. And in their defence, Peter says, look, it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this guy's been healed um, and there's, there's salvation to be found in no one else, no other name under heaven uh, by which people can be saved. And, and so he's really powerful in their... Um, profession of their faith at this tribunal and they get off with a a severe warning and they're ordered uh, not to speak or teach any more in the name of Jesus. We can imagine that uh, a a fired up apostle like Peter being told not to speak or teach any more in the name of Jesus and they respond with, do you think we should listen to you or to God? That must have gone down well, mustn't it? And, uh, And they said, we can't stop telling about what we've seen and heard. And so they were threatened a bit more and then they were released. And uh, that's what has just transpired as we read this verse about Joseph called Barnabas. What a timely and encouraging gift from Barnabas in the light of all that's been happening. Um, Now, generosity is one of those things that can be incredibly powerful as an encouragement to people. Now, we don't all have to sell our houses, but what an encouragement generosity can be uh, to an individual and to a group. What an encouragement it is to, to actually, to someone who is in a specific need, to see someone who sees that need, identifies with that need, is able to meet that need in a particular way and in a timely way. You know, I've had experiences of that in my life that have been just so significant and so helpful at times when I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and it, it makes an impact on you. It encourages no end. It encourages you to keep going with what you believe God has called you to do. Now, some of this persecution of the, of the followers of Jesus was coming from a guy called Saul. Just let me get my first point up here. Encourages see beyond themselves and they give. So that's the first thing I want you to remember. Now, there's a, bit, a lot of these things you're going to remember today, but um, we're going to go through them pretty quick, so don't get worried. Um, some of this persecution was coming from a guy called Saul. Now, he'd been present uh, at the stoning of Stephen, uh, who was the first Christian martyr, uh, and he was breathing out these murderous threats against the disciples. And his very name would have sent a shiver through um, any follower of Jesus. But he had this remarkable turnaround. Um, we call it the Damascus Road experience because that's where it happened. And we've used that, we use that expression, don't we, these days. But he's transformed from a, a persecutor of Christians to a, a dedicated follower of them, uh, a follower of Jesus, the Messiah. And this is what it says. When he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You know, it's no wonder that even after his dramatic conversion experience, Saul, later called Paul, would have frightened Christians. So much so that when he arrived in Jerusalem, they all kept their distance. Wasn't this the the fire breather who was out to get them, who'd hurt so many of them? But Barnabas, he's not afraid. He takes his life into his hands almost. Um, and he went, goes to see Paul. And I, I think he's convinced that Paul is absolutely genuine. And so Barnabas is instrumental in leading Paul to the other apostles and introducing them. And so the second point I want to make is that encouragers see the best in others. Sometimes people need someone else to actually identify in them what is good and what God can use. And Barnabas saw that very, very clearly in Paul. And, you know, Paul's effectiveness really is, is actually introduction to the ministry that he was to follow, to, to continue, 
probably only happened because Barnabas was there and brought him into that picture. So encouragers look for the best in others. Now, the church was growing, and it was growing because mainly because of the persecution. People were scattered away from Jerusalem, and they'd only really shared the good news of Jesus up until this point with the Jewish people. Uh, but recently, some people had gone to Antioch in Syria, and uh, they told Greeks about Jesus, and, and many had responded. And this is what it says. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. This is Antioch in Syria. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Here, Luke, in that little last line, gives us a glimpse into the character of the man. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It's obviously been uh, an incredibly effective, uh, growing church, and Barnabas' presence there encourages them to grow even more. And I think one of the, the things that comes out clearly in this section is that encouragers want to see the faith of others thrive. For Barnabas, the priority for him was to see new Christians grow to maturity and stay true to Jesus. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, I wonder whose life you might be building into. I'm so thankful for the people who've built into my life all through it, but particularly when I was younger, who wanted to see me grow and develop. You know, if we really believe that knowing Jesus is the most important relationship in a person's life, then we'll be keen to do whatever it takes to, to be what Barnabas was to the people that we are in contact with. So encouragers want to see the faith of others thrive. Now, as Barnabas seeks to encourage these new Christians in Antioch, it's obviously getting too big for him. And he thinks back of this guy, Paul, who he knew, and he sees a role for Paul. Now, interestingly, people think that Paul had probably... He'd been under after a bit of persecution after he started preaching the good news of Jesus powerfully. He went back to Tarsus, and he was probably there for maybe 10 years or more. And we don't know exactly what happened in that period, but I imagine it was a growing period for him. Things were consolidating in his mind. He was starting to understand clearly the message that he needed to be able to communicate. But obviously, Barnabas knew about the effectiveness of Paul and, and wanted him on his team. And so this is what happens. Barnabas went to Tarsus. That's where that Paul's hometown. He actually went there to look for him. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So Barnabas works alongside Paul for a whole year, and he helps Paul to identify his real calling in life to establish and nurture churches that cross this divide between Jews and non-Jews, between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul eventually becomes known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And this Antioch church where they'd invested together became a missionary-sending church. And so the, the, the point I want to hear is that encouragers steer others towards their full potential. That's what Barnabas did. He needed help for the church in Antioch to thrive. He didn't hold it all in for himself and be the, the key leader. He sought out Paul, he saw his giftedness, and he saw where he'd best fit. You know, it must have been interesting for Paul because he'd been sitting there for, for 10 years wondering, I guess, what would happen. He'd had a promise from Ananias when he first became a, a Jesus follower that said, you're going to make an impact across the world, and uh, it wasn't happening really. Well, it's starting to happen. 
encourages steer others towards their full potential. This is what happened. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and it lists them all, and one of them's Barnabas, and one of them's Saul, and there's quite a number of others. And they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Barnabas and Saul have been handpicked by God, and they're sent off, commissioned, as it were, by this Antioch church on what we've come to know as Paul's first missionary journey. And Barnabas was Paul's constant companion and co-worker on a mission trip that probably lasted 12 to 18 months. And you can imagine what it was like living and working together. If you read about it in Acts 13 to 15, it was never plain sailing. Everywhere they went, they encountered opposition. Have a look at this map. They started off at Antioch on the right there, Antioch in Syria. And then they went by boat to Cyprus, which was Barnabas's home territory. And then they went up, and you can see the blue line is them going out and the red line is them coming back. But just about everywhere they went, there was trouble. And uh, I just want to give you sort of an example of, of some of the trouble. But um, one time when they... You read about all this in chapters 13 to 15 of Acts, and it's a, it's a good read. But um, in this place called Lystra, Paul had healed a man who'd been crippled since birth. But unfortunately, the miracle... Um, it caused people to believe that, that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was the Greek god Hermes. And so people started worshipping as if they were gods. And uh, Paul was called Hermes because Hermes was the, the spokesperson, like the herald of the gods. And so they, this is the guy, he's the communicator, he's speaking it out. And so Paul and Barnabas had to work really, really hard to convince the people that they were mere men and uh, prevent them from worshipping them and offering sacrifices to them as mere men. And then some antagonistic Jews from Antioch, that's the other Antioch in Turkey, the one up the top there, Antioch in Pisidia, um, they came and persuaded the crowds to stone Paul. And uh, after the stoning, he's dragged out of the city and he's left for dead. And it sounds pretty... You read the story, it's just almost comical as you read it. Remarkably, the disciples gather around him and he gets up and he walks right back into Lystra and they're on the road again the very next day bound for, for Derby. So I just want to make this simple point that encourages stand alongside through thick and thin. I wonder, it's easy to encourage someone for a short time, but to actually stand with someone over a long period uh, takes some stickability, doesn't it? And uh, I think often it's when we stick with people for the long run that God uses us to, to the greatest effect. And uh, Barnabas was certainly uh, that sort of person. As we um, read about the missionary journey and... Uh, the, the idea of Zeus and Hermes bears it out a little bit, I think. It's clear that Paul, who was originally mentored by Barnabas, begins to take the lead, and he's that clear-thinking leader, that forthright communicator, the upfront man. And Barnabas clearly could teach as well, but I think Paul's the one who starts to, to lead. And you'll see very clearly as you read it that at the start of it, when they're sent out, it says, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul, whose name was later Paul, and later on, as um, Luke writes uh, the rest of his account, it's always Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And uh, I, I wonder if we need to recognise that, that encouragers are sometimes willing to forego uh, the limelight for the greater good. You know, it takes a humble person to allow another to take the lead and to still stand alongside and support and cheer them on. And, you know, I think we have a great responsibility to encourage those amongst us who are in, in leadership. Um, they need your encouragement. They need your affirmation. 
Uh, leadership can be hard and lonely at times, and I reckon Barnabas, alongside uh, Paul, must have just been that incredible, constant uh, encouragement. Now, the interesting thing, as we read these accounts in the in the book of Acts and in some of Paul's letters, is that New Testament uh, writers they don't sugarcoat relationships. It's all out there. Uh, and the first indication of some tension between Barnabas and Paul is evident in a letter that Paul writes to the Galatians. He wrote this, When Peter came to Antioch, that's Peter, the pillar of the church, from the Jerusalem church, the Jewish-centred church, he, I, Paul, opposed him to his face, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And you can sort of sense Paul's disappointment, can't you, that here's my man Barnabas and he's led astray. And it was probably a very short-lived issue that that, uh, happened here because it seems when this matter is deliberated in Jerusalem not long after what was called the Jerusalem Council by the senior leaders of the church, Barnabas has moved to be firmly on the the side of, of Paul, on the same page on this issue. Uh, that it's not right to impose Jewish practices on Gentile converts. Rather, a person, uh, whether Jew or non-Jew, is made right with God through faith in Jesus. So Paul goes even further to say that um, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. And so Barnabas and Paul, when they go to this council, they're clearly on the same page, but there was an issue uh, leading up to that. And Paul clearly had more backbone to stand up against one of the pillars of the church, Peter. But I, I can understand Barnabas's position, um, going along with Peter out of respect for him when he comes along um, and eating at a separate table. Um, but I think the point is that encouragers don't always get it right, do they? Um, it's ironic that um, Barnabas's encourage, encouraging attitude ultimately puts him at odds with Paul. On that first trip, they took along... Uh, Barnabas's young cousin, John Mark, um, but he, he quit. Halfway through the journey, he quit, went home. And so when they're, when they're planning a second trip, Barnabas wanted to give Mark another chance, but Paul refused. Um, and they had what's described as a sharp disagreement, um, as Paul Rawlings described in our home group, a Barney. They had a, a sharp disagreement. And uh, I think that the word that used for it is quite a strong word. And they went their separate ways, Uh, And so Paul teamed up with Silas and Barnabas with John Mark. This is what it says. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, but Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commanded by the believers to the grace of the Lord. It's sad... Um, and yet, interestingly, in the end, Barnabas is uh, proved right about John Mark. Um, he did prove to be a trustworthy um, fellow worker. And Paul, uh, later in a letter to Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this. Well, the, the point I making is encouragers don't write people off. But Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So Paul, who didn't want John Mark to come on this second trip, uh, has turned right around and seen that there's value in in John Mark. 
where did John Mark get his experience and his uh, training and his value? He got it because Barnabas took him on a trip somewhere else and uh, worked with him and didn't give up on him. Encouragers don't write people off. So they're my eight points for today. Usually I only have three. <laughs> but you know, the word often used in the New Testament for encourager or encouragement has the idea of someone who comes alongside to help. I think it's the word Troy would know. He's a Greek scholar, but it's something like parakletos or something like that. Um, it's often the word we use to describe the Holy Spirit, but paraklete who comes alongside to help. And, you know, God the Father is described as the God of all comfort. Um, Jesus is described as, as our advocate with the Father, same word. The Holy Spirit is described as our helper, same word. And, you, you know, in the same way, you and I, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who's the ultimate helper, the one that Barnabas was full of, um, we're sent to the people in our lives to come alongside, uh, to offer help, to offer encouragement, to offer presence. Encouragement is awesome, says Chuck Swindle. Think about it. It has the capacity to actually change the course of another human being's day or week or life. And I want to ask you this morning, I wonder who God is sending you to to be that source of encouragement today. Who do you need to come alongside to help? It can be as simple as a word that affirms a person, affirms something they are, affirms who they are. It could be a, a, a written note that might mean something to them. It might be something you say to them face to face. It might be you just giving them their, your time like these guys and kids hope to. It might be giving someone your undivided presence. It might be words. It might be a gift, a timely gift. But all of these things uh, are really powerful things. We need to be able to see beyond ourselves. We need to be able to see the best in others. We want to see the faith of others thrive. We want to steer other people towards their full potential. We want to stand alongside them through thick and thin. Um, and sometimes we need to be willing to forego the limelight. And I love that last one, don't write people off. So easy for us to uh, see somebody who fails in some particular way and, and never give them another opportunity uh, to, be, to be effective as they work for God. We're gonna, uh, these guys are going to sing us a, a, a final song and it's, uh, it's called it's, it's Not I But Through Christ In Me. You know, these things aren't easy. Encouragement doesn't always come... Uh, as the most um, obvious thing for us to do. And, you know, Barnabas could only do what he, he did because he was empowered by the, the Spirit of God. And uh, as we sing this song, as we um, share it together, just think about what it might mean for Christ to be working in you to be an encouragement and a long for someone else. Thanks, God.